Would you take God's word and turn to Matthew chapter 5? We're engaged in a series talking about Jesus' sermon, often called Sermon on the Mount. And as I said before, this is a call to live countercultural. We are to be different. Not for the sake of being different. Rather, we're called to be different. We're called to live according to our creator, according to his design that he has for us. So I'm going to start with a prayer again. And we're going to pray this together as we start this, blessed are the meek. This is a prayer of humility or a prayer of meekness. Let's pray together. Lord, give us grace to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow Christ, to discipline our bodies and keep them under control. Lord, keep us from being lovers of ourselves, from being wise in our own eyes, and leaning to our own understanding. Lord, give us to seek not our own good only, but also the good of our neighbors. And grant that we may not live to ourselves or die to ourselves, but whether we live or die, we may be the Lord's and may live and die to him. Amen. Very powerful prayer, and if we believe that God answers prayer, uh, hang on this week. Amen. Amen. Jesus says we are blessed. Blessed are. And and that's a perspective that's not in our world. It's a perspective in God's kingdom, both present and future. And we have to get this transcendent living thing down. If we're going to live well in the present, we have to understand that this is not all there is. That the world to come, where we're going to spend the majority of our lives... We have to keep that in our mind's eye. Now we began by talking about what it meant to be poor in spirit. That we come before Christ and we are totally destitute of anything that we could give and offer. But he redeems us anyway. Last week we said, blessed are they that mourn. We talked about mourning our sin and the sin of other people and the sin of our world. Today, blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Now, the context, and again, understand there's always context. Israel was longing for the Messiah. They literally prayed prayed three times a day for him to come. And down through the centuries and down through the years and down through the decades, there were false messiahs that rose up that people put their hopes in, but it always turned out that they were not the one. Now, their assumption was that when the Messiah would come, he would be harsh on their oppressors, namely Rome, and gentle with them. But they believed they were going to take their rightful place in their world. So the Messiah predominantly had a present reality to them and not a transcendent one. The religious community had grown proud, it had grown self sufficient. And their main goal was to have Rome overthrown. And they wanted the Jewish state, Israel, to dominate the world of politics. And of course, even in the confines of this religious community, there was a variety of opinions. But most of them were political solutions. Take the Pharisees. 
They believed the Messiah was going to overthrow Rome with his supernatural powers. He was going to come down and put this incredible show on. It's why every time they confronted Jesus about miracles, they were concerned about this supernatural. So they believed there was going to be this supernatural display of awesome power and Rome would fall and they would rise. The Sadducees didn't like the supernatural stuff. They believed the Messiah would come down, be a political figure, and bring in what they called political compromise. They think and they believe the Messiah would come down and sit down with all the key world powers and just work it out. They call that political compromise. The Essenes, well, they lived as if the rest of the world didn't exist. They had their own religious communities, their own religious education system, their own religious cult, whatever you want, and they believed the Messiah would come down and be part of them, and they would just be that much better for it. Then there's the Zealots. The Messiah would be a military leader. The Messiah would bring civil war. And so they were ready to fight, and they were ready to die for the cause of overthrowing Rome. Now, what they did not expect, they did not expect the Messiah that Paul describes in Philippians chapter 2, where it says he would humble himself and die on a cross. In fact, that death of Christ on a cross became a major stumbling block for Jews to accept him as Messiah because, well, look at the Old Testament witness. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, it says a hanged on a tree man is cursed by God. And it's why when you see the scene, they taunted, mocked, and said, if you really are the Messiah, you're going to deliver yourself because the Messiah would never die on a tree because a crucified man is cursed by God. We have it recorded in Deuteronomy. So Jesus shows up. And many rejected him because he did not fulfill their expectations. I want you to think about that. See, the Jews were not looking for the Messiah that God told them was coming. They had witness. Just read Isaiah chapters 40 through 60. The suffering servant. I mean, look at this text here. Isaiah 53 verses 2 through 3. This is a description of the Messiah. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. But this was not the kind of Messiah they wanted. And so we see this progression. First, they rejected him. And that wasn't enough. Then they hated him. And that wasn't enough. They finally killed him. There's a lesson in all this, isn't there? Because when we reject, what do we do? We end up despising, and then we end up doing violence. So Jesus comes along, and instead of approving their religion, the Messiah they wanted, he condemned it. And instead of leading their independence from Rome, he called them to a greater subservience. And I think about our culture today. 
It appears that anyone who does not approve of our version of life and freedom, and I'm talking about the church now. Anyone who does not approve of our version of life and freedom, we reject. And then we accuse them. Sometimes we use hate speech. Then we do violence and and words and physical violence. And it, it appears today that in our culture and both in our church, because I think we've been more culturized than we realize, we live this perpetrator-victim perspective. That either we are the ones perpetrating violence on people or we are the victims. And so people walk around and the church walks around and instead of what Paul says in Romans, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, amen? We're walking around kind of sucking our thumbs being wimps. We sing, great is thy faithfulness. And then we're disappointed because Christ doesn't do what we think he should do in our culture. Boy, that was really bad English, wasn't it? Blessed are the meek. The word meek means mild or gentle. Now, it does not imply weakness. It does not imply cowardliness. It's not emotional flabbiness. It's not a lack of conviction. It's not mere niceness. When you look at extra biblical literature, it was actually used of a breaking of a wild stallion or ox. And so it's come to mean power under control. It's come to mean that a meek person is a person of courage, strength, and conviction. But what does that mean to be meek? Breaking it down, say, okay, we, we, we say it's strength under control, but what does that really mean? Now, one of the habits Jesus had was that he would often quote the Old Testament. And this blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, is almost a direct quote out of Psalms 37, verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land. That Hebrew phrase there is literally identical to the Greek phrase that we find in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And in this psalm, I think we find some answers about what it means to be meek. Here's the first. A meek person learns to trust in God. Look at Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Now, take the time, some time to read verses 1 and 2 because you realize the context is this. They're saying, don't worry about evil. Don't worry about the wicked people. And in the context of Psalm 37, people were frustrated because it felt like and it seemed like and appeared like that the wicked people were winning. And in the first two verses, the author says, listen, their days are like grass. They will wither and they will die. So the context is that these people were living in tough circumstances, that evil appeared to be winning. So one of the reasons or one of the characteristics of being meek is we trust God in spite of our circumstances. Number two, meek people commit their ways to God. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Now again, we need to understand that God is what I call both and God. A lot of times we make him an either or God, but he is both and. He is both full of grace and full of truth. He is both loving and he's also wrathful. 
He is full of mercy, but he's also full of justice. He is wise, and he's also generous. He is peaceful, and he's a warrior. And there's this tension. So when we commit our ways, it requires us to make decisions, and there will be a tension. Sometimes the tension is between community and personal responsibility, between compassion and justice, between generosity and stewardship, between forgiveness and accountability. And so we have phrases like this. Along comes Jesus and says, I want you to forgive without end. It's talking to Peter and the disciples. Then Paul comes along and says, listen, if you don't work, you don't eat. There's a tension there, isn't there? But meek people are people who trust in the Lord in spite of their circumstances and who commit to do the things the Lord's called them to do. That's what it means to commit your ways to the Lord. Three, they are quiet before the Lord and they wait for him. Now, it doesn't say they're lazy. This phrase in Hebrew means they have a steady calm. And again, think about the context. Look at verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So prosperity in their culture was going to the wicked, not the righteous. That's what that means. But let's be honest, we're an impatient people, aren't we? We want God to bring justice now, not waiting for some day in eternity. We want people to pay now, not in a month or two or a year. We want everything now. There's a phrase we don't use in our culture very much. It's called delayed gratification. If you're over 50, you probably heard it. Delayed gratification meant back 50, 60 years ago that you didn't buy something unless you could pay for it. Now, the exception was the home, even though some people waited till they had cash for their homes. Today, we go into debt because we believe we have to have this now. And this impatient patience literally enslaves us to our desires. This impatience then energizes our opinions and solutions. Now let me illustrate. Has anyone noticed that there's an election coming up? Raise your hand. Okay. Just want to see if you're not sleeping this morning. I didn't know if you stayed up late last night or not. Now, I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of conversations about what's going on. And in my discernment, and you're going to see incredible discerning ability now, I've come to three conclusions. One is, it doesn't matter who you vote for or how you vote. You realize there's five ways to vote. Left, right, third party, right in, or not vote at all. That's your five options. But it doesn't matter who you vote for or how you vote, you're going to lose your Christian witness. (laughs) That's what I discern because I have emails say, well, you cannot vote because if you don't vote, you're going to lose your Christian witness. You can't put a right in because if you do that, you're going to lose your... If you're... I'm like, okay, so... There's my incredible discerning ability this morning. doesn't matter who or how you vote, you're going to lose your Christian witness according to people. Secondly, it doesn't matter who gets in, it's going to be the end of the world as we know it. I mean, that's, that's just what I keep hearing. 
You know, we're at the end of the world. And I'm kind of saying, okay, that's a person's viewpoint. Now, here's the third thing, and I got to tell you that I get the discernment from here and not people. God is high and exalted, sitting on a throne. And he is in control. And we are not defined by our circumstances. We as a nation could lose a lot of things. We could lose our freedom to worship. But that won't take away our Christ, will it? Economically, we could lose everything that we have grown to appreciate. And somehow we think we're entitled to it. But that doesn't take away our relationship with Christ, does it? So, meet people. Don't get all agitated and excited. They're quiet before him knowing that he is always with them. And he will never leave them nor forsake them. And so there's this quiet calmness about navigating even something as unique as this political election. Here's number four. Meek people do not get angry and take revenge over the wicked. Verse 8 of chapter 37 of Psalms. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. This is where the idea of strength under control comes from. And let me read two passages that illustrate this. And we're called to be like Christ. And Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 21 through 23 writes these words. For this is, for to this you have been called. This is this counterculture. This is how we are called to live. Because Christ also suffered for you. We're going to suffer. Having you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He trusted God. He committed his ways to God. He patiently waited for his time. And he did not take revenge, even though he had the power to do that. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. The author writes, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a harsh struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. So sometimes it was directed at you, and sometimes you happened to be with the group, and you got lumped in there. And note what the response was. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And I sat down, and I read that verse, and I said, Wow. People came in and took everything they had. And they accepted it. And they continued to have compassion on those that were in prison. So you see, meekness is power surrendered to God's control. Now there are some additional truths that I want to give that are found in the New Testament. Here's number five. Meek people have a teachable spirit. James chapter 1, 
verses 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And we see this kind of being repeated from Psalms 37. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. See, there's two kinds of people. One is they seek information to back their thinking. And like in the day Christ was teaching the sermon, they didn't accept the Messiah because his teachings didn't back their thinking. So they went elsewhere. That's one kind of people. The other kind of people are those who humbly accept the word of God. With meekness, with gentleness, with strength and control, the implanted word, it comes in our minds and in our hearts, and it's implanted there, and it grows. See, the one adjusts the outside information to suit their preferences. The other makes adjustments in their hearts. Meek people have teachable spirits. Number six, meek people are wise. James chapter 3, verses 13 and verse 17. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. The word gentle there is the word meek. Open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. See, wisdom goes beyond being smart. We have a lot of people in our world who think they're smart. But what they need is wisdom. And meek people are humble enough to allow God to teach them wisdom. And again, wisdom is what I call and both. We're often an either or kind of people. Number seven, meek people are restorative. Galatians chapter six, verse one, brothers, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness or meekness. That's what the word is. Why? Keep watch on yourself lest you too are tempted. Now this is what we are called to be. We bless people by restoring them. And what's the promise? What's the blessing? They shall inherit the earth. And again, we think immediately about future. And we get this even though we forget about it, that someday, despite who thinks they own land, no, it's going to be those who follow Christ that get the inheritance of what Christ owns. Just because we have a piece of paper that says we own a particular house or piece of land doesn't really mean that we own it. Who owns everything? God does. But it's also present. See, they shall inherit the earth. What this means is we have the ability to make a difference now. Inheriting the earth means that we are key influencers, not in the media, not in the world's eyes. We don't win the Nobel Peace Prize. That the meek helps us to live with the sin of others and deal with them the way God deals with us, which is in a restorative manner. 
So inheriting this earth means to take it back for its original purpose. And the way we take the earth back is one life at a time. Amen? It's not overthrowing a government. It's not finally getting our policies in place. Living the kingdom of God is is one of the most incredible, freeing lives that we could ever choose. Now, let me give an example of this from the Bible that really kind of pulls all these points together into one life, and it's Joseph. Joseph was sold by his jealous brothers, and whether he deserved that or not, we can spend endless hours talking about that, but it's not about our opinions, is it? He goes off in a bad situation, becomes worse because he's framed by his owner's wife when he decided to do the right thing, which is not sleep with her. She falsely accuses him, and he gets thrown in prison. While he's in prison, he helps somebody else out. They forget all about him, and he sits there for a few more weeks and months. But God finally raised him up to be the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. And when provided with an opportunity to take revenge on his brothers, he saw a bigger picture with God's hand in saving Israel. And listen to these words in Genesis chapter 50. His brothers also came and fell before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. This is after they found out who Joseph really was. But Joseph said to them, Now here's a response of a meek person. Do not fear, for I am in, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as you are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. See, he realized in a roundabout way that all these bad, evil circumstances, he decided to live as more than a conqueror, not as a victim. He realized that God used him, that he literally would save Israel during seven years of famine. And that's the story behind the story. But a lot of times we don't put that together, do we? We just look at the moment because we're impatient. We don't look at the larger picture and how God leads and guides. G.K. Chesterton said that we suffer, what we suffer from today is humility or meekness in the wrong place. And instead of God being at the center of our story, we allow the culture to dictate the terms of our Messiah. And in doing so, we live in a life of offense. We're constantly offended. And our offense has more to do with us than it does other people. But Jesus said, where it begins is you got to be poor in spirit. you got to realize that you are destitute. You have nothing to bring to me. But I provided Christ to redeem you. Number two, you got to mourn, you got to weep over your sin and the sin of others and the sin of this world. And it has to be a sin that leads, I mean, a mourning that leads to repentance. Just not, I'm sorry. But there's a transformative nature about this mourning. 
Then he says, I want you to live. Yielding your power over to God. You know, I heard a speaker the other day. They were talking about social media and our obsession with it. And I saw an example this past week of exactly what they were talking about. There's a set of young parents, and they had a six-year-old boy in a swimming pool. And while the boy is playing and doing all these kinds of things, they both sat there, and they were glued to their phones. Not watching, not seeing, not engaging, but they were glued to their phones. But this speaker said this, we are who, we are what we are connected to. And I thought, you know, they had it right with a slight change. We are who we are connected to. Meek people are connected to Christ. Meek people understand their sin and the sin in this world. Meek people weep over it. Meek people trust God. They commit to God. They wait for God. They do not seek revenge. Meek people are teachable. They are wise. They are restorative. Meek people are blessed because they are key influence in this world and they change lives one at a time. And someday in glory, they inherit everything that we see. I'm going to call for the worship team to come up. We're going to sing a song in closing that really talks about how great is our God and it's an appropriate way to end this morning. But I do want to make a call for those who need to accept Christ. I mean, that's where you start with meekness. You can't just decide to become meek. No, you have to connect with Christ. So if you're here this morning and you've never connected with Christ and would like to, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to have someone to come alongside of you and explain and lead you in this way. So is there someone that would like to accept Christ this morning? Just stand to your feet. Right here, we have... Someone else? No, I'm seeing someone else. Okay. Uh, is there a lady that would like to come down here and who will go out with this? I'm assuming it's a lady. I got, I, I got, I got sun in my, I got light in my eyes. I can't see. I just see shadows. Okay. My wife will take her out. Is there anyone else who'd like to accept Christ? Now, secondly, I want to make a call for those who need to reconnect with Christ. You're like that parent sitting alongside of a pool and you're just staring at your social media device instead of engaging with your child. And you're so caught up in the politics of this world that it has you down and depressed, has you going crazy, and you need a peaceful, quiet spirit. If that's you this morning, I just want you to kind of raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. We all find ourselves at those places. I guess it depends upon the day. Is there anyone else to say, I need to reconnect this morning? Okay, I see those hands. There's many hands. Father God, we're going to trust your spirit to take your word and to apply it the way it needs to apply. And if I didn't say the things that need to be said, may your spirit just fill that in. You're amazing because you do that so many times. 
pray for this young woman who decides to accept Christ this morning. Um, That's just moving your kingdom one step closer. We know that all of heaven rejoices, so we just rejoice with her this morning. And for others, Lord, that may have been afraid, uh, may you prompt them to talk to someone before they leave. This is too important. And for others, Lord, that need to reconnect. I mean, all of us find ourselves at that in various points in life. And it's really one, I guess, that we all should be raising our hands on because too often we look away. But may we sit at your feet. May we be meek people. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege this morning that we have. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, because he alone is worthy. May we live to an audience of one this week. And everyone said, amen.